is Grace Lingkeller with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, and we are live at the 20th Annual Spine, Ortho, and Pain Management ASC Conference. I'm sitting down right now with Dr. Christopher Good from the Virginia Spine Institute. So Dr. Good, thank you so much for joining us, and I'll have you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and why you are a proponent of motion preservation in the lumbar spine. Well, uh, thanks, Grace. It's really uh, great to be here and, and uh, appreciate taking a minute uh, to chat. Uh, I am a uh, spine surgeon, uh, president uh, of the Virginia Spine Institute uh, in the uh, Northern Virginia, D.C. metro area. Uh, I was classically trained uh, as a spine deformity, like scoliosis surgeon, big surgeries, you know, reconstructing spines. Uh, and I've been in practice about 15 years. And just as time goes on, I very much believe in what we do, but I've I've seen uh, the need to try and uh, expand and evolve and uh, preserve movement uh, in the human body whenever possible. Our bodies were were meant to move, and our spines move like you know a bunch of cars on a roller coaster attached together. And there are really some ramifications uh, if you turn someone from a roller coaster into an eighteen wheeler. Uh, and so, being able to utilize new treatments to try and preserve movement, such as a such as disc replacement, uh, has really uh, been a huge breakthrough for me, and something I try and offer to my patients whenever it's possible. Absolutely. And to guide your adoption of motion preservation, what data has made the greatest impact on you? Yeah. So, um, trying to be a, a data driven surgeon, I think you really try and look at randomized controlled trials. Um, as with many things in spine, it's really a challenge to get great data that doesn't have any conflicts. And so with many things where we need an industry partner, there has always been some criticism from some of the data because it gets sponsored or it's part of an IDE or an FDA trial that has some industry relationships. But the reality is no spine surgeon has had the knowledge, ability, and money to make their own disc replacement without involving industry. That's just not, not how it works. But to me, if you really look at it, uh, first of all, I think preserving movement just makes intuitive sense. Uh, and we certainly know that if we have to lose movement in one part of our body for one reason or another, whether it's surgery or some other problem, there are ramifications. And we know that if people have fusions, especially depending on the way those fusions are done, there can be real problems to their other discs. Uh, so if you look at, at the growing evidence for disc replacements, um, and especially if you start to factor in the, the the neck and the low back, it really is critical to to look at this. So the ran, there are randomized controlled trials now that really you know do show patients who get disc replacements uh, do better. Uh, they have lower rates of surgery down the road. They they have better movement, and because of their movement it seems that we're actually not seeing stress developing at the discs next door. And so as you, as you start to look at what makes intuitive sense and then, you know, factor in looking at some of this data, disc replacements um, have become something that we're using on an everyday basis. And um, even some of our own um, data looking at um, cervical disc replacements, you know, we see that if we can replace a disc, uh, like we, we just presented in, in Prague, if you have a person who needs two levels done and you fuse one and replace one, they lose less movement than if you fuse them both, duh. But we also see that if you look at the disc above, the people who have fusions, that disc is already working overtime. It's moving more than it should. Uh, and we know that that is a part of why that disc may wear out down the road. And so um, I think we're getting to the tipping point where using these constructs and using this whole philosophy is commonplace. And now 
what I expect is we're going to see tons of data coming out because so many different people are believing it and looking at it. And once you get over the tipping point, the, the data really grows exponentially. Absolutely. And the customizability of the Actival construction is what drew you to use this device. So can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I think everything we do for our patients should be customized, right? And, you know, it used to be stay away from the surgeon until you can't take it anymore. And then when the time comes, they fuse whatever number of bad levels you have. And it just, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. There's lots of different problems that can be developed in one, uh, developing in one person's spine. And in terms of choosing uh, a motion preserving option, we want to be able to replicate that patient's anatomy and the, the motion that they were meant to have in the best way we possibly can. And so what does that mean? I need lots of different options. People's bones are different shapes and sizes. The, the end plate, the contour of the bones can be very different. And so having device options that allow me to match what a patient really needs rather than just make their anatomy bend to what's in my hand makes sense. And so if you look at the active L, um, more sizes in terms of um, matching how big a person's bones are. Um, but I really also like the customization in terms of deciding, does this particular patient's bone, uh, will it do better with a little bit more of a rigid, rigid fixation between the disc replacement? Should I use a keel? Do I not need a keel? Uh, also, we like to really focus on patients' bone density and some other factors about their health. And uh, there are times when being able to put a keel or not really makes a big difference for me. And so I, I love I love being able to really do my preoperative planning and really think about my patients. And and the more options I have, the better I can do as a surgeon to to give the patient what they need. And final question as we wrap our conversation, how do you think that motion preservation will evolve in the future? I, I think that's uh, a super interesting question. And I think we're just scratching the surface now. Uh, you know, it's been 20 years and now it's about to take off. I think there's two things. One is how will we evolve the, the motion preserving implants and options that are out there, uh, which is very interesting. But another is how will we start to expand beyond what we've been doing before? So for example, I just uh, talked about uh, the Global Spine Congress, and um, in that we we presented on mixing what we call hybrid constructs with cervical, where we're doing disc replacements next to fusions, and showing that being able to combine these technologies uh, in a slightly different setting and and not related to this implant, but um, it allows us to customize within one patient. If you have two or three bad discs. Do they all have to be treated in the exact same way? I, I don't think so. And so I think a lot of the research we need to really do is look at the look at the implants we have. We know what we've proven works and start to say, okay, like how else should these be should they should they be used? Should we be looking at at different indications when they really are better for a certain patient or another? And so really starting to go at a high level of, of refinement so that surgeons out there who've been a little hesitant, people who really need a lot of data to drive their decisions, can really start to feel comfortable on, on when to potentially incorporate motion preservation. And then I think obviously in, in the future, uh, trying to even better replicate normal movement in the spine when we do need to do disc replacements. I think we've gotten to a great place in terms of being able to restore pretty great function compared to what a normal disc was supposed to do. But I think that's a big part of the future when it comes to design implant and evolution uh, moving forward as well. 
Absolutely. Well, Dr. Good, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and talk about these subjects on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. And special shout out to Ascalap Implant Systems for sponsoring this episode. And again, we're live at the 20th Annual Spine, Ortho, and Pain Management ASC Conference by Becker's. Thank you so much. Thank you.